chapter 6, verse 1. If you're there with me, say amen. I heard this side. If you're there with me, say amen. amen. That's right. We got to keep the same diligence, even though it's only 10 of us in here. All right. Notice he says, uh, where am I at here? Chapter 6, verse 1. He says, now I saw when the lamb opened one of the seals and I heard one of the living creatures saying with a loud voice like thunder. We covered this last week. Come and see. And I looked and behold, a white horse and he who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him and he went out conquering and to conquer. And when he opened the this, uh, this second seal, Jesus opened the seal, remember, I heard the second living creature saying, come and see. And another horse, fiery red, went out and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth and that people should kill one another and there were giving to him a great sword. There was given to him a great sword. And we'll, we'll get into all of this stuff in the next several weeks. Verse 5, And when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And he had, uh, and, he, and I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for denarius and a quart of barley for a denarius. And do not hurt, do not harm the oil and the wine. In other words, a, a denarius being a day's wage means that a loaf of bread would cost a, worth, a day's worth of work. You know, right now with the situation where it is, you're paying two ninety nine to three ninety nine for a basic loaf of bread, not the not the really delicacy stuff. You know, just regular bread. It, it, this implies fifty to hundred dollars for a loaf of bread. Those are pretty hard times, but the oil and the wine are not harmed and so it speaks of something we'll get into verse 7 and when he had opened the fourth seal I heard the voice of the, four, uh, the fourth living creature saying come and see so I looked and behold a pale horse and the name of him who sat on it was death and Hades followed with him and power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with, with a sword with hunger with death and by the beast of the earth. Very interesting. With, with war and violence, with hunger, famine, as well as with pestilence, with the beast of the earth. Very, very interesting to begin to fathom this, uh, to begin to even think about it. Verse 9. I'm going to read a little further just so we can keep the flavor of things. Verse 9 says, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they hailed, and they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And then a white horse, excuse me, a white robe was given to each of them. I said white horse because my mind is in chapter 19 when we get to come back. Y'all bear with me. White robes were given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. Because during the tribulation, uh, those who come to faith will mostly die for their faith. In fact, in chapter 7, later on, we're going to see a great multitude that come out of the, the tribulation period that were killed during the tribulation period. And so, remember, Antichrist has uh, the ability to prevail against the saints during the tribulation period. This is why you trying to plan to go into it is not a smart idea. 
Um, and so we continue. It says, verse 12 says, And I looked when he had opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up. I can't wait to get to that verse. That I don't think is so, it's not really figurative or poetic so much as we might think it is. And here's why I say that. Verse 15, and the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the commanders and the mighty men and every slave and every free man hid themselves in caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from uh, and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. They're hiding. They want to be hidden from something that they see, I believe. That hasn't been seen, if you will, before. Verse 17. And because when I can see outside and it's beautiful out there, the sky is blue. Notice in verse 17, for the great day of the wrath, excuse me, the great day of his wrath has come. And who is able to stand? Verse 17. Remember, I told you that the whole tribulation period is the wrath of the lamb being poured out on the earth. It just intensifies as time goes forth. Very interesting for us to begin to fathom that. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning as we've read your word, Lord, and I pray that you would just continue to pour into us. Because, Lord, the truth of the matter is we don't want to just get fat on, on your word for the sake of knowledge. Lord, you know, things are going to be made clear when we're in, 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 in heaven with you, when we're there with you. Uh, all things will, will become clear to us then, Lord. So it's not so much knowledge that we need to gain as we listen to Bible teaching right now as we're digging into your word to find truth Lord it's to be strengthened in our faith and it's to be able to share truth with those Lord who need to receive an answer for the hope that lies within us so that they can obtain uh, direction Lord that they may have the hope that we have the living hope that you give when one turns to you and so, Lord God, I pray that as much as we are comforted and strengthened in our faith as we go through this, that you would prepare everyone also who's listening, Lord God, Lord, to be able to walk uh, as salt and light in this world, Lord. Let us not lose our saltiness. Let our lights not go out. And so, Lord, I pray right now that you would remove all of the cares of this life from our hearts and our minds, uh, that you would remove the distractions away from us, Lord God. Um, let us uh, not be focused right now on the news so much and the things that are happening, but Lord, focus on, on truth. And because you told us these things ahead of time, it proves how much you love us and how much you're in control of everything that happens. And so thank you this morning, Jesus. Amen, amen. And so um, a lot of wonderful things we're gonna see over the next several months as we go through this. And we do need to be careful. Uh, when we read in Mark's gospel, I'm sorry, Luke's gospel, chapter 21, one of the things that Luke says is that during this time, men's hearts would be failing them for fear of the expectations of those things which will be coming upon the earth. You can write that down, Luke chapter 21, verse 26, and go look at it later. And that is what it's going to be like. Men's hearts will be failing them. They will be overtaken with fear and overtaken with anxiety. But the thing is, it's possible even right now with what we're going through for us to be overtaken with those things if we're not careful. And therefore, we must balance our lives out with spending time with the Lord because, look, he's trying to actually grant us, if you will, a time of rest. 
a time to reflect on him and spend time with him and learn to trust him, learn to walk by faith with him. So I want to caution you, even as we turn to these scriptures, because a lot of people can look at these scriptures and be very, very fearful. You know, uh, a lot of what we're looking at reminds you of the apocalyptic movies that we see. In fact, even this morning, I'm, I'm thinking I'm coming to church and, it's, and, and I get up really early on Sunday mornings, very early on Sunday mornings. And, um, you know, rabbits were out everywhere this morning because they're mating and everybody's in the house. So they're out mating. I think I saw about eight rabbits this morning before I got to my office. And then when I arrived at the church, I came in the sanctuary, I prayed. And when I walked out the sanctuary doors, I heard this loud noise over to my right in the bushes. It sounded like a wild boar. Um, now, you know, I'm, this is North Carolina. I grew up here and we're in Johnston County. So, you know, there's always a shotgun near me, you know? <laughs> so I'm thinking I need to go get my, my gun. I don't know what that is. And then I see these two raccoons come out the bushes trotting across the church parking lot. And they looked at me like I wasn't supposed to be there. And then they had the nerve to walk right across Main Street. I'm like, Lord, what on earth is going on? We're all in the house and the animals are outside enjoying everything. But anyway, to get back on task here, it's very interesting. So we need to stay focused on the Lord. Now, last week, as we began chapter 6, we began to look at the rider of the white horse in verses 1 and verses 2, and I need to go back to that today. Um, look at it with me again. It says, Now I saw when the Lamb, that's Jesus, opened one of the seals. So he's opened one of the seven seals to the scroll that he took out of his father's hand. Remember, as I told you, the scroll that he has is literally the title deed to the earth because the earth was lost over, if you will, temporarily to Satan when Adam sinned in the garden. That's why Satan is called the little God of this world because he has temporary authority uh, in the world. We see that throughout scripture. We even see him flexing that when he tried to tempt Jesus in the wilderness and Jesus simply said it is written it is written but remember Satan says he took him to a pinnacle of the, of, the, of the temple and he showed him the kingdoms of the world and he says hey I'll give you all of these if you bow down and worship me Jesus didn't argue with him he just said away with you Satan because it's written so Satan has temporary authority and, and we, we understand that. So, but now Jesus has that. He's taken that, and Satan's time is drawing near. So Jesus begins to open the seals, and he says, I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a loud voice like thunder. We talked about that last week. He said, come and see. Remember, he's showing John what is happening. This is not a vision for John. You remember that in chapter 1, verse 10, the Bible says that John was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Remember, the literal translation of that means that I came to be in the spirit until the day of the Lord. Now, from a, 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 from a physics and a time space and all that kind of stuff, uh, uh, type of uh, scientific way of looking at it, it's hard for us to fathom. But remember, God created time as a dimension of the world that we live in. He is not bound to it. He created it. We see glimpses of that throughout Scripture. Remember I told you, uh, Gabriel came to shed light on these things to Daniel when Daniel was praying. And he says, hey, 21 days ago you began to pray. I was dispatched. I was held up by the prince of Persia. And 
Michael had to come and help me fight to get free. And when I go back, I have to fight with the prince of Greece. But we're looking at one to 200 years time frame between these two nations. But Gabriel's contending with the demonic spirit over those nations all within this little short time period as we would think of it. And it, it really gives us a glimpse into the fact that once you get out of this limited sphere of dimensions that we understand, time is not the same. And I believe that somehow God has taken John to place and point in time to be able to view the actual occurrences that are coming for us in the future. It's more than we can even begin to get our minds wrapped around. But he says, I, and I looked and behold, notice a white horse and he who was sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him that he should, and, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Remember, we talked about that last week. Now to conquer, to conquer the world and mankind. Last week, we answered a few questions. Who is the rider, and when will he arrive, and what will he be like? Remember, we talked about those things last week. Well, some have misunderstood this rider to be Jesus Christ, but last week, go back and listen to that teaching, I was able to show you that he is not Jesus conquering or the church conquering, but he's literally the imposter himself, the Antichrist. Not just because he's against Christ, because, but he comes actually, if you will, as an imposter even of Christ. Remember, here's what the Bible says about who he is. The Bible gives him several, calls him several different things. One, uh, the seed of the serpent, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, which we'll go to in a minute. He was also called the prince who is to come. Daniel chapter 9, verse 26 calls him that. And re remember, we gave you these last week. He's also called the man of sin and the son of perdition in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and 3. The man of sin and the son of perdition, which is very interesting. He literally is the man of sin. Perdition means destruction. He's the son of destruction. Very interesting. Or his life is a waste because he is of and will go into destruction. Jesus called Judas the son of perdition and he says it would be better for that man by whom I'm betrayed that he would never have been born and we know that Judas went into destruction his life was wasted he's in hell we believe today but Antichrist is the epitome of this he's called the lawless one in 2 Thessalonians 2 8 John actually calls him Antichrist and we'll talk about that a little bit later uh, in 1 John 2 and he's also in Revelation chapter 13 going to be called the beast. So today, I want to go back and, and deal with him a little bit more because I think it's important that we see this. Today, I'm going to answer the question, who, uh, what is he and how will he conquer? What is he? Not who is he, but what is he and how will, we conquer, how will he conquer? And it's important that we get a good foundational understanding of these things so that we're able to tie future things such as the mark and the image of the beast that's coming later, that those who take uh, will not be able to participate in the economic system unless they take that mark. We're going to see that in chapter 13. But not only that, they will no longer have the ability to receive salvation by the blood of the Lamb. We'll see that in chapter 13 as well. Now, those are huge implications, very huge implications. And so... Um, it's a very interesting thing. And then in chapters uh, 16 through 18, we're going to see this world system that he is ruling over come into place as we'll see the Antichrist and Satan scrambling at the end. And so there's a lot of things that we need to look at. And I'm sorry, but just buckle in. 
we're going to look at Genesis and Daniel. So I want you to uh, get your fingers ready to go to Daniel chapter 3, and I want you to have your fingers ready to go to, uh, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 3, and then in Daniel chapter 7. If y'all are okay, say amen on your chat and in the room. All right, let's dive into it a little bit. And so, first of all, what is he? We know that he's going to go forth conquering. He's going to conquer the world and humanity. He is going to call, cause all of those who do not take the mark of, or of his image to not be able to participate in a world system. And we're going to see that in the coming chapters. And those who take the mark of his image or, or the number of his name will, listen, will not be able to receive salvation according to the, the, the message that the angels will be proclaiming during that time. Now, I didn't say this, but let me remind you, if you are a born-again believer now, walking with the Lord, you will not be on the earth when these events take place, okay? But I just want you to know that. But what is this guy? Well, remember, he's called the seed of the serpent way back in the book of Genesis. So turn there, and actually I have it on the screen, Genesis chapter 3, and I have verses 14 and 15. Now, in Genesis chapter 3, it was when Adam fell into sin, uh, Eve had given him the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he took it and he did eat. The Bible tells us this. And when they ate, their eyes were open. They realized they were naked. Um, they, they, they had, if you will, lost a covering in, 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 in the way that God had them prior to this. Prior to this fall into sin, they had a, uh, a unhindered, a beautiful fellowship with God. They were protected and covered, if you will, and something has happened now. And so when God came down in the cool of the evening, as he always did, he called for Adam. He said, Adam, where are you? You're not where you normally are. Adam was hiding because he was now ashamed. He was hiding because sin brings shame into our lives. Even now, for some of you who are listening, sin brings shame into your life. And you know what I'm talking about. And uh, the beautiful thing is that we can repent of sin and turn to God, and that goes away. Um, and so uh, they came and they said, well, Lord, we were afraid because we were naked and we hid ourselves. And God says, well, how did you know you were naked? Have you eaten of the fruit? Well, Adam said, well, Lord, it won't my fault, the woman you gave me. And Eve said, you know, well, the serpent deceived me. Everybody was passing the buck. So God set everybody down. Adam, Eve, and the serpent, basically. I'm, I'm kind of uh, paraphrasing a little bit. And he pronounced a, a type of, uh, I would call it, consequence of sin, judgment, if you will, on them. Um, and I'm going to give you just a little bit of that. On the screen, you see verse 14 and 15. It says, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go. And you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And looking at this verse now, I have so much more, if you will, uh, just uh, uh, praise and honor to my God because he's speaking this from the beginning. Uh, and this literally, now I want to remind you, when God speaks predictive things through a man, we call that prophecy. When God speaks out of his own mouth predictive things, I don't call that prophecy, I call that reality to come. 
um, because God is saying this is what's going to happen. Now, I want you to notice in verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman. That word enmity is literally hatred. Um, I will put hatred between you and the woman. And that implies several different things. Um, and then he goes on to say, and between your seed and her seed. And then he says, he, singular, will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And this verse we know is speaking of the he singular is our Lord Jesus Christ. And it unfolds very beautifully because I'll put enmity, hatred between you and the woman. And that hatred is seen between Satan and particularly the nation of Israel, but even all humanity. And between your seed, serpent, and her seed. But the issue comes in as we begin to fathom this is that, of course, as I've always told you, there is no seed within a woman. God created a reproductive system so the male places the seed in the woman. We understand that. That's basic biology. And so what God is speaking towards here is he is speaking of a supernatural event, which we know is the virgin birth. Y'all know that, right? Amen. Remember, the Bible tells us in Isaiah um, that, hey, I'll give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. And this was an amazing supernatural event that occurred when we look at the Christmas story. God's dispatching angels to proclaim these truths. The angel goes to uh, the, the, the parents of John the Baptist and, and prepares them to be the forerunner. The angel goes to Mary and tells her what's going to happen, that you shall conceive and bear a son, and, and he will sit on the throne of his father David, which will be fulfilled in the kingdom. Kingdom, and, and he, will, he will rule. And, and she says, how can this be? I've never known a man. I'm a virgin, she's saying. Don't worry about it. Got you covered. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will conceive. This thing that will be of you will be of the Holy Spirit. It will not come from man. God, the angel told uh, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. You shall call his name Emmanuel because he will save his people from their sin." This is what was, was being said. This was an amazing supernatural event. And so when I look at this, we have to consider then, well, what is Antichrist? Because if the seed of the woman is a supernatural event that bears implications for all of humanity and our salvation, then what is the seed of the serpent then? Because Satan is always trying to imitate God and always trying to prevent God from fulfilling his plan to redeem humanity through the blood of his son. Remember, John says many antichrists have already come. We see them through the ages. We see them when, when Herod destroys the baby boys. We see it when Pharaoh destroyed the baby boys. We see it when Hitler killed millions of Jews. We see spirit of antichrist has always been in the world, but there's one who is coming who's going to be the final one. And, and what is he? He is the seed of of the serpent and if the the seed of the woman was the supernatural incarnation of God becoming man through the virgin birth as the Holy Spirit came upon a woman then what on earth is the seed of the serpent going to be and I believe it's going to be as much not as much but it will be an imitation a supernatural event maybe more than what we have realized how will that take place well listen it wouldn't be too far-fetched Satan has already attempted to do this on multiple occasions. 
When we read through the book of Genesis and we arrive at Genesis chapter 6 and we see that, that the, the sons of God uh, took, daughters from, took wives from the daughters of men and, 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 and we see the implication of that which happened, giants being born uh, in the earth at that time, Nephilim as we call them, Raphaim even, that we even see and afterwards in the promised land when Joshua goes in to conquer, the implication of that is some type of supernatural meaning by the work of these fallen angels to kind of, if you will, try to corrupt the seed of mankind to prevent a Messiah from being able to come. And so Satan was trying to do something even then. He obviously did it after the flood again because Joshua and David encounter, and Caleb, they encounter these same giants in the promised land when they go in. And I believe that in the last days, Satan will finally perfect his perversion, that he will actually have a seed of some sort who will be this final man who will literally almost be Satan incarnate in some way. And we can't even begin to fathom how this looks. You know, through Eve and her offspring came mankind. Through mankind came the nation of the people of Israel from the nation of Israel, God brought forth the seed, his son, the Messiah, and it's the Messiah who bruises the head of the serpent because he has redeemed us on the cross and he will return to destroy all of Satan's work and to bound Satan for a thousand years. And so there's something coming in this world, uh, a, a Superman type figure. I mean, every time I go to the movies, I see it as we, as we love the entertainment of these God men becoming superheroes. And it's very interesting. So the seed of the serpent is something that we, will, we'll, we won't see it down here. We'll see it from heaven. The Bible tells us that he will be fatally wounded, but then he'll come back. And then finally, the Bible tells us that he'll give an image that all who participate in the final world system will have to have in order to participate. And if they don't have it, they won't be able to participate in the final world system. And beyond that, if they take it, Revelation chapter 13 tells us, and, and you can glance over at it. I know I'm getting ahead of things, but I want you to begin to prepare yourself. That uh, actually in, in, in uh, chapter 14, verse 9, not on the screen, but you can look at it. Then a third angel followed him, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead and on his hand. We'll get into this in detail in weeks to come. But he says, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb and the smoke of their torment, verse 11 of chapter 14, ascends forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and who receive the mark. This bothers me because as I read through scripture, the God I know that I serve is merciful and gracious. And what we've been told is all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And the Bible says that there is nothing that God won't forgive save the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And we've learned that the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is to reject the Holy Spirit's work of condemnation in your life as he's trying to lead you to Christ. So wait a minute. Then why on earth during the tribulation period will those who take the mark of the Antichrist 
be promised eternal torment and flames, which is what hell is, to be separated from God and to be tormented for all eternity. I believe that it's possible that the mark of the beast is more than what we have thought. We've always thought, well, it's just going to be a chip. It's going to be something written on. And I think as we go through this, the implications of this may mean that it will be something greater than just that, that it will have some type of biological implications to how it interacts and interfaces with our human body that, that, that actually, not ours, but theirs, that may actually alter who they are and their ability to even come to the Lord. I think that for those who have been playing around and saying, you know what, sin feels good because sin does feel good i'm enjoying sin and if i see these folks who are talking about the rapture if i see them get raptured out okay then i'll believe them and i'll just get right be careful with that because the bible says that it's during that time that god will send a strong delusion because those who would not receive the love of god that they may believe the lie today is the day of salvation tomorrow's not promised and you don't want to be fooling around playing with this during the tribulation period we it now is the time now listen to this john said in first john chapter 2 i think i have on the screen verse 18 and 19 john says this little children i love that the apostle because little children it is the last hour and you have heard that the antichrist is coming and even now many antichrists have come i've mentioned them to you earlier hitler herod uh pharaoh um Many of them, Margaret Sanger, uh, Darwin, I'm, I'm going to stop there. But by which we know that it is the last hour, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been uh, of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it may be made manifest that none of them were of us. He says that there's already in his day been an apostasy of those who had abandoned the faith because they were not truly of us. Many things are implied here. First, he said, little children, it is the last hour. Well, if he was saying it was the last hour then, then how late is it now? And he's saying that, they, that many of them had already gone out. And as I told you this past week on the biblical perspective, when I did the apostasy, that this is what the end times will look like. There will be many people who will defect, who will walk away from the faith. It's because they were never of us to begin with. Are you in the faith? I challenge you to examine yourself. Are you a believer? We have made church so easy for people to come into and find comfort and complacency. Because religion makes people feel like they're okay man but we need to we, sometimes we need to be shaken up a little bit you know so that we can really examine ourselves you know to know i know who i am in jesus christ and i want to take that even more serious now i, I don't have a lot of time so how will this antichrist conquer remember back over in our text revelation chapter 6 verse 2 it says i look and behold a white horse and he who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him and he went out conquering and to conquer he goes out to conquer the world and so listen to me in order for him to go out and conquer the world there, because what that means is he's going to be the ruler of the world then that means that there must be a global consolidation of power and authority 
in order for him to do that. It has to already be in place because the tribulation is only seven years. So that means that when Antichrist comes on the scene, there must already be a global system that is already framed and ready for him. It'll be a system of 10 regions of the earth we know. It will be a global political and economic power aided by a global religious system. And the foundation of this system must be in place and we will have to be moving into it prior to him arriving. And that is what we have to take note of. Now, Daniel chapter 7 kind of gives us an indication of that. I hope you all are doing well. Give me 10 more minutes. I told you it would feel like Bible college today, but you're home, working from home. You have time. So turn to Daniel chapter 7 really quick, Old Testament. And before we get to Daniel chapter 7, I'm going to set it up by reminding you of what happens in Daniel chapter 2. Y'all doing okay? Okay, good, good, good. All right. Now let's spread out all over the place. Now, Daniel chapter 2. I'm just going to quote. In Daniel chapter 2, God begins through the ministry of Daniel to give us a picture and understanding of everything that would happen from that point through the end until Messiah would return. There was a world leader at the time named Nebuchadnezzar. He was the ruler of the Babylonian uh, kingdom, which ruled the known world at that time. They had subdued the Assyrians, um, and, uh, and they were ruling the world. And the ruler had a dream, and it, it literally freaked him out. He did not know what to do with the dream. And so he had these soothsayers, these magi, these wise men, who supposedly are able to prophesy and even interpret dreams. So he calls all these guys together, but he knew they were uh, somewhat fake for the most part. So he calls these knuckleheads together and he says, look, I had a dream and I don't know what to do with it and I need you guys to interpret it. They say, we got you, Nebuchadnezzar. Tell us the dream and we'll give you the interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar says, nope, not going to happen like that this time because I know y'all knuckleheads ain't, ain't right. You're fake. So he said this, you tell me what I dreamed, then you interpret it or I'm going to kill all of you. And that got him a little stirred up. I like that Old Testament flair, by the way. If we could do that with, with all of the false prophets today, it would be really good. Um, you know, it's amazing how none of them really uh, saw what was coming in the world today. Um, so Daniel steps forward, one of the young men, probably around 16 at the time, captive from Judah, a Jew. And Daniel says, give me some time and my God will interpret the dream. So Daniel and his boys fasted and prayed all night. God gave Daniel the dream and interpretation. Daniel gets up the next day. He says, oh, king, I've got it. Here it is. He says, you were asleep, you were, you were dreaming, you saw an image. The image had a head of gold, it had shoulders and arms of, of silver, it had um, belly and thigh of bronze, and it had legs and feet of iron. The toes, the ten toes were a mixture of iron and clay, and you were watching until a, 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 um, a, uh, a, a, a big structure cut out of a mountain without hands came and struck the image on the legs and, and broke it in pieces. And he says, now, Nebuchadnezzar, here's the interpretation of the dream. And I love, I love that chapter because all the way through the book of Daniel shows the power of God with his people in the midst of a world system. So he says, here's the interpretation. You, King Nebuchadnezzar, and your kingdom, the kingdom of Babylon, you're the head of gold. 
and the silver uh, arms and, and shoulders is a kingdom that will come after you and then the next kingdom that will come after that is the belly and the, and the thighs of bronze and then finally there will be a kingdom that will be a stronger than all of them made of iron that will come but then the, 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 the last part of it the ten toes will be mixed with iron and clay uh, because it will be part strong and part fragile and it's in that time that God will send a one that is, comes with out, cut out of a mountain without hands. He will come and destroy the whole thing. And then he will become a, a mighty mountain and be the final kingdom. And literally he was telling him that you King Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, you are the first kingdom. And then after you is the Medo-Persian. We learn through the rest of the book of Daniel. And then after that is the Grecian kingdom. And then after that is Rome, which will be divided. And then finally Rome will be mixed, if you will, with iron and clay partly partly strong partly fragile there's some implications in there to what I was talking about earlier that I don't have time to go into and in the time of that kingdom that final kingdom that's divided into 10 toes that's partly strong and partly clay uh, a, a Jesus would come and destroy the whole thing and establish his own kingdom now that gives us a framework Daniel chapter 7 look at it with me Daniel chapter 7 Daniel sees this whole thing come to come to pass in Daniel chapter 7 uh, I'm going to jump jump ahead into this thing there's so much I don't have time to go over all of it but Daniel sees this final beast if you will verse 6 says and after this I looked and there was another uh, verse 7 I'm sorry after this I saw in the night vision and behold a fourth beast dreadful and terrible exceedingly strong it had huge iron teeth it was devouring breaking in pieces and trampling the residue with its feet it was different from all the beasts that were before it and it had 10 horns this final beast is the Roman Empire in the last days revived it has 10 horns which speak of a, ten, a, a nation uh, or a world empire with 10 regions and 10 regional kings and it says so it, considering the horns there was another horn another little horn it says a little one coming up among them and this is our antichrist coming up among them before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots so he will come up in the midst he would subdue three horns, three kings. And there in the, this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. In other words, he'll have, if you will, an amazing uh, uh, display of, of cunningness. Remember, he will be able to see sinister schemes we talked about last week. He'll be able to show up and do things that nobody else can do. And he'll be speaking pompous words, the Bible says, against the Most High. And then it's during this time that it's all going to come to pass. Let me fast forward for you. Um, and we're going to look now at the end of the, the verse. Notice it says here in chapter 7, we'll pick it up in verse 23. Then he said to me, the fourth beast, he's interpreting it now. Look at it with me, Daniel chapter 7, verse 23. The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the other kingdoms. It shall devour the whole earth, trample it and break it into pieces. So literally it will take over the whole world and break it into regions. Then uh, he says, the ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom 
and another shall arise after them, he shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. So in other words, this kingdom, this final kingdom will divide the earth into 10 regions. Then one king will rise up in the midst of those 10 kings. He will subdue three of them and there will be a seven uh, region kingdom left. Verse 25 says, and he shall speak pompous words against the most high. In other words, he'll speak blasphemy against God. He shall persecute the saints, verse 25, of the Most High. And during the time of his kingdom, which we've already seen during tribulation, Antichrist will be able to persecute and prevail over believers and shall intend to change times and law and the saints shall be given into his hand for a time, times and a half. And what that means is for three and a half years, he will horribly persecute all believers as he will literally rule the earth. We'll finish for the sake of, uh, of, of triumph, verse 26. But the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom of dominion and the, the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. In other words, Jesus Christ will come, destroy Antichrist, and he will establish his own kingdom. And all of that happens within a seven-year period of time. All right, I've covered a whole lot of stuff. I hope you took notes. You're in Bible college. Now, here's the thing that we need to understand. So in other words, for that to happen, several things will take place. There's a falling away. People will defect the Christian faith. The rapture of the church will happen. The Bible tells us, we looked at it last week in detail, that once that happens, the man of sin will be revealed. He will ride on the white horse to conquer. And he will conquer in the name of peace, and most people won't see him coming as the global system is divided into 10 regions, and then eventually he will come to full power, and he will, he will show up and he will begin to persecute saints, those who get saved during that time, and Israel, and it will be horrible. But for that to happen, listen, a system must be put in place. Something that's going to come about very fast. And it's a system that will provide him a framework, a system of technology that will give him control of humanity. We see this already arising. Um, we know that uh, China has a system already in place now a little bit more ahead of the rest of us where they've put a lot of things into play with facial recognition and their 5G network which allows you to be pretty much uh, viewed all times. Their citizens are almost have to have a mobile device in order to do certain things and, and it's amazing because it's very convenient. Uh, it's going to be great for business, great for the individual. It's a powerful system um, and, and it's a great framework if you will. We've always thought when the barcodes came and when the, uh, when the credit cards came and all that kind of stuff, people were like, oh, that's going to be the mark of the beast. No, no, that's just, if you will, um, early technological, technological advances towards a system that can be controlled by a man on a global scale that will be able to, to do a lot of the things that we're going to see as we go into the tribulation. There are things on the books now, plans to make... Um, 
uh, chip implants that will interface biologically with the human body so that it will be able to monitor uh, through brain waves and body temperature what the body is doing so you'll know if you're dealing with the actual person. That's great because of all the identity theft and, and if all I need is your hand to conduct your transactions, I can cut your hand off. But that chip will be able to even identify whether the person's alive or not and shut down their whole account system. These are things that are actually being developed. You might think Pastor Kevin's crazy. He's been on lockdown too long. He needs to take a vacation now. Um, but no, these are things that are truly being developed. Um, they're saying that global innovation is what's needed now to get things back to normal and to get things in our world uh, corrected. Um, that we need a system by which we can, we can be able to determine uh, you know, what's going on within the world health-wise and, and, and all of that, be able to keep track of population with vaccinations, all of these things. These things are happening. And it could happen very fast. I only mention these things for this reason. I'm not saying that where we are, that these things are about to take place. That's not what I'm saying. But when we see these things, we know that, oh my goodness, all of the things that are necessary to make the tribulation uh, happen the way the Bible describes it are falling into place. That's really all I'm getting at. There are many other things that I can mention that I won't take time to mention right now that are going on in our midst, but there must be a move to a global unity in order for the tribulation to happen in seven years with everything that's being packed in chapters 6 through 19 is not enough time to bring it all to pass. It has to be in place as it begins. So when we see on the religious side, uh, religious groups move into global religious unity, that's a part of the final system. When we see all of the economic uh, systems of the world having difficulty and possibly needing to be reset with a global economy and a global currency in the future, which will no longer be a physical currency. Those are just hints towards the system that needs to be in place for the Antichrist to operate the way the Bible describes he will operate, that we're close to that, that those things, that framework is being laid. But see, that's the thing. When Jesus says, when, when you begin to see these things, look up. Time is drawing near. Now, we don't know what that timing looks like, but man, it's continuing to develop. Now, for the Christian, that's exciting because it tells us that, oh, my Lord, you love us so much that, you can, that you've always told us about the things which would come and you've always warned us. So the church today, we kind of got to be like Noah. Noah preached for 120 years. Nobody listened until the rain began to drop and God shut the ark, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and, and even when the angels went to Lot, they said, look, you know, we were sent to destroy this place. So whoever you have in this city, you need to get them and let's get out of here. Noah went and began to plead with his sons-in-laws, but they didn't want to listen. And so the angels finally said, time's up. We got to take you out, Noah. Noah and his two daughters made it out of the city because the angel said, we can't pour God's wrath out on this city while you're here, Noah. You got to go. They took Noah out of the city and rained down fire, brimstone, and judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. But you know, Peter says, God knows how to protect his and, and, and pour judgment out on the world. And so what's coming, listen, what's coming, I believe, is a time that God is allowing the church to continue to do what he's called us to do. 
But church, we need to take opportunity, take advantage of the times that are ahead of us to really be serious about what we're preaching, to really, let me back up, to really be serious about how we're walking out our faith and then serious about what we're preaching so that when that time comes, we're ready for the Lord to take us out. Because remember, prophetically, there is nothing that has to happen before God removes his church from the earth. There are no signs tied to the rapture. We leave when he's ready for us to leave, when he's ready to judge the world. And so we need to be serious about our walk. We need to be walking right and preaching right and encouraging one another. So in this time of isolation, make phone calls, make texts, let everybody know you're praying for them, interact with one another as best we can in fellowship over technology until we can come back together. Because when we come back together, all you know what's going to break loose because we are ready to worship together. I know we are. Bow your heads. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for your word. And, and um, Lord, I know it was a little heavy. A lot of things I covered and I pray that, Lord, you would use it, that you would cause it, Lord, to bless those who have heard in many ways and uh, let it come back to their minds when time is needed. Lord, give them time to go back and read through it and get greater understanding of it, Lord God. You are faithful, Lord God, to work through uh, a human element. You even made a donkey speak once to a prophet. Today, you've used a, a man as a mouthpiece but, Lord, that is, that is such a uh, limited way of doing things, but it's the way you've chosen to. And I thank you that you did. And, Lord, I pray that you would take it and continue to use it and multiply it in the hearts and minds of people. And, Lord, I pray you would be with us this week in our homes, wherever we have to go, protecting us, Lord God, in and out of the marketplace as we, we need to go and we need to conduct business. We need to be able to get things for our homes. Lord God, uh, keep us uh, safe in that process. But, Lord, also let us be your light as we go into those places and to be able to encourage people and point them to you. We love you, and we thank you for who you are and for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all.